Anyways, all right, you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 one more time. This is our last week uh, of our stewardship series, like I said. We've been looking at uh, the idea as giver, right? We talked about that first week, that God is the ultimate giver, that he is a giver, and he is not a taker. And depending on your view of stewardship, your view of finances, your view of a lot of different things in life, if you don't have a correct gospel view, you're going to see God as a taker. He's that God. He's that guy that's demanding things of me. He's demanding my stuff from me, and he just looks like a taker. And hopefully, like we we did a hopefully we did a decent job in and kind of reworking our thinking here and that, where you see God as the ultimate giver. That He is the one who has given everything. As I prayed, that He gave His very best in Jesus. We were utterly lo- lost, utterly hopeless. No way. Could we find salvation? But God in his mercy sent his son to do what we could not do, to bridge that gap, that chasm that we sang about this morning. He is the ultimate giver. He gave his first. He gave his best. He held nothing back. And God's heart and his motive in giving was that familiar verse in John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave He so loved us, even while we were yet sinners, lost, dead in our transgressions. He loved us when we were children of wrath. And he has now redeemed us and restored us and made us his own. And now he calls us children of God. He calls us friend. Last week we looked at generous sowing, right? The point is this, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, those who sow sparingly, will reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. And we looked at what it, looked, what it means to sow bountifully, to give of our all. Remember, like last week I said, like, God is the giver of everything you have, and here's the key, here's the, the, the point of it, it's still not yours. And that's a tough thing for us to understand. Like, He's given me my life. He's given me my talents. He's given me my finances, my resources, my ability to work with my hands or to my ability to process and think and the intellect that I have and the way that I apply all of that. He has given that all to me, and it's still not mine. It's not this legalistic tithe where, here's God, here's your 10% or whatever that looks like in your finances, and the 90% is mine. No, it all, it all belongs to him. And then we wrestle through, okay, is it 10%? Is it more? Is it less? Like what, what? But it's all his. It's all to wrestle through. It's all to steward for the sake of the gospel and the sake of Jesus. So let's read our text one more time again today. And we're going to look at that. Um, we talked about generous heart. We talked about generous sowing. Today we're going to look at that generous harvest, right? To those who sow generously will reap generously. And so let's look at it again. Verse 6, it says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing 
and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And he concludes this section with thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Before we continue on, let's pray again and uh, ask God to open our ears, open our eyes, to move in our hearts today. Father, again, we thank you and we submit to you, we surrender to you. I pray for humble hearts today, mine included, God, humble hearts before your word, ready to receive, expectant hearts, expecting to be changed, expecting to be challenged. Those selfish corners of my heart, God, please shine your light upon them. Give me the boldness, give me the humility, God, to offer it back to you again. And so, God, today, I pray that for all of us, God, that we would see these lives as just a beautiful resource to be sown into the field of the gospel of Jesus. There is no better use, there is no better use for this life, not comfort, not achievement. There's no better use than to sow it back into the kingdom of God. So, God, let us do that generously. And let us see a beautiful, bountiful harvest to the glory of your name. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've, I've mentioned it before in the past, but I'm not a big WWJD guy. You guys remember those bracelets back in the 90s? I kind of wish I had one once in a while. Like, I, I thought they were kind of cool back then. Um, but I'm not a big what would Jesus do guy, right? And I, say, and I say it this way, because when we think of that or when we use that phrase or like we relegate the life of Christ, his sinless life, the way that he lived, we relegate that as merely something to emulate. Like the value of Christ's perfect life is that it's something for me to shoot for. It's, a, it's an example. And right, of course, Jesus is the ultimate example, right? If you're going to model after someone, if you're going to act like somebody, act like Jesus for sure. But I've been pretty strong on it. Like, his sinless life is not just an example. And please don't make it just an example. Because when we try to hit it, you're going to realize that you can't hit it. When you try to be like Jesus, you're going to realize there's no way I can live that sinless life. So I'm going to be full of disappointment. I'm going to be full of frustration. I'm going to be full of utter despair. When we relegate the life of Christ to merely an example. Because there's a perfection that has been required of God. There's a perfection that is required by the law of God. It's demanded. And I cannot do it. That's the point of the gospel. Right? I can't do it. So enter Jesus. I can't do it. So enter Grace. Enter Romans 5 and Romans 6. 
Right? The whole point of the gospel is that we can't do it. Jesus had to. And he did it. And he accomplished it all. It's been all done in him. We were hopeless, but he is able. He is righteous. He conquered sin. He conquered death. By faith, then, he clothes us in his righteousness. By faith, then, he covers us with his blood. All of our sins wiped away, made clean, whiter than snow by faith. He clothes us in that righteousness, that sinless life, that unblemished living then is put on us so that when the Father looks down, right, who is holy, unapproachable, so holy that if we were to stand in his presence, his glory would just we, we could not stand. Surely we would die. But Jesus, enter Jesus, clothes us in his righteousness, makes us pure, completely pure. Not just kind of pure, not just like, okay, right now in this moment you are clean, and then an hour from now when you screw up again, okay, now you're dirty again. Like clean, clean, able to approach God clean. So that's why I'm not a big fan of WWJD. (laughs) Now, granted, Jesus teaches us to actually obey his commands, right? And the thing I love about Jesus' teaching is that he didn't just teach with words. There are so many places through the scriptures where you have a beautiful, beautiful outworking example. You have him not only saying it, but doing it. For us in our lives, like for us, like not just to talk a talk, but to walk a walk. Not just to proclaim certain things, but to show it by our works and our actions is vitally important. To prove that we actually have a faith, that we love him, that we've been changed by him. I'm so glad he teaches not with mere words, but with beautiful, glorious actions. He teaches... That transformation starts in the heart, right? That new self, that new nature, that born-againness that needs to happen, John 3. But then out of that new self and out of that new new nature, we have proven new actions. I once used to live for me, but I've died to my old self. Now I live to the glory of Christ. I've not only heard his instructions... I've seen how he lived. I've seen his example. I see how he's given himself completely for me. And I, in turn, as a beautiful, worshipful, obedient servant, I have followed his example. And I, in turn, give myself completely over to him. It's worship. It's not meriting salvation. It's not earning our way, but In worship, we have given ourselves back over to him. I was thinking about our series again this week and just cap like just captive like we were made to give. Like substitute give with worship. We were made to worship. And so often we think of worship as a few songs on a Sunday morning. 
it's just a piece of it. We were made to give, like Christ gave himself completely. We then have seen that love, and we then love him back by giving ourselves completely. He's commissioned us, purposed us to give. Think of Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. You see the heart and the attitude of the action all married together here. Verse 25 says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. This text in Matthew, right? This is a little short teaching coming from a mother's request. Have you ever had your mom, like, embarrass you, like, when you were a teenager? Like, your mom would, like, step in, or maybe, like, you were on a baseball team, and your coach was kind of a jerk, and then mom steps in and goes to the coach, and you're like, Mom, no. Ah, oh, my kid's not getting enough playing time. Whatever it is, you know? Mom steps in for you. Like, you have mom steps in, goes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, when um, you take your throne and you establish your kingdom, I'd like both of my sons to sit on your right and on your left. Like, what a request. He then goes and says, like, if you're going to be first, you're going to have to be the slave. If you're going to be first, if you're going to be great, you must be a servant. You must give. Giving is greatness. Laying yourself down is where it's at. You've been purposed for greatness, but greatness is giving. Greatness is serving. Greatness is not living for me, but now living for the glory of Jesus. You've been redeemed. You've been saved by his grace as a gift and now purposed for glorious good works in him. Are you living it? Are you walking in the calling that you have in Christ Jesus? It sounds exhausting. Like when you have a message like this and I'm just like, hey guys, give. You got to be given. 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 It's not enough. Keep giving. Right? Like he's the sustainer of all of it, by the way. Right? He's the one who gives seed to the sower for the giving. He's the one who provides our needs and gives us the gifts and gives us the energy and the strength to give. We've been purposed for greatness, and greatness is giving. I've been convicted this week. Like, I, I had a conversation actually with my son last night, like trying to like help him see how the mundane things of life are so full of purpose when your mindset is Jesus. Like those moments are so great when your mindset is Jesus. Your daily living, kids, workplace, whatever it is, when your mindset is Jesus, when your mindset is giving, when your mindset is greatness, which is service, gosh, it makes it so beautiful. Is that your mindset? Is that your mindset? Are we living to the glory of Christ? Or have we heard his word and deceived ourselves and it just merely stays there on our ears? But our faith is not evidenced by actions and service. What I don't want to be is full of good intentions. 
What I don't want to be is just, I say things, or I, th- I say that I believe things, but my life doesn't evidence what I believe. So last week we looked at sowing generously, right? We talked about giving all of ourselves to God because God withheld nothing from us, not robbing God. We looked at Malachi chapter 3. We'll look at that again here in a few minutes, right? When you're robbing God, you're taking something that doesn't belong to you. We talked about how our lives don't belong to us. They've been given to us, but they still don't belong to us. So we just steward it for the sake of Jesus, giving the very first, giving the very best because Jesus gave, or God gave his very best in Jesus. He gave his firstborn son, his one and only son. And when we sow, we can know, we can know be absolutely sure that he will use it for a bountiful harvest. Something that's beyond us, something that's both material in nature, but then also immaterial in nature. We're going to look at this now. But also there's a harvest in it for us as well. It's not just for other people. There's something that happens. There's a harvest that we get to benefit from when we sow bountifully to God. And let me just be real clear right off the bat. Like, this isn't a prosperity gospel get rich scheme here, okay? You know, when you, you talk about giving, it's like, oh, you give, God's going to give it to you, right? Press down, shaking, you know, all the, like, whatever it is. Like, to, like, I truly believe that you can't outgive God, like that kind of stuff. But this isn't, it might be material, it might be in finances. Might, I know that God will provide your needs. I know. I know. It's in his word. I know that when I give of myself completely, I know that the good shepherd shall supply my needs. I will not be in want. I know it because his word says it. And I say that, I have to tell myself that because I don't always believe it. When things are tight, when things are stressful, when you lose your job or whatever it is, the circumstances are just not such where you go, this doesn't make sense to give everything right now. Time, talents, resources, finances, whatever it is. It doesn't make sense right now. So I go, I've got to be tight with it. i got to bring it all back in. There's so many times where he's like, that's not yours, that's mine. That's not yours to hold on to. That's my, and I will provide all your needs, as it says in Philippians, according to my riches in glory. Thinking about the idea of sowing and then seeing a harvest, like it's an amazing thing to take something like our money, like our finances. That, I mean, there's so many things in our life that are like this. But take finances. Like, ultimately, in the economy of God, fin- right, moth and rust destroy. It's worthless. God doesn't need your money. He wants our hearts. But it baffles me that we can take it and sow it, and God turns it. Like something material, like money, or even my time, or my whatever it is, I can sow it into the kingdom of God, and he takes something that's perishable and utterly worthless by kingdom standards, and he gives it back, yes, in material ways, but he blesses it, and there's a harvest in eternal, immaterial ways. It's like magic, like, how would you take something that is perishable and then sow it into the kingdom of God? And then all of a sudden there's a harvest of eternal spiritual matters? Lives impacted, affected? Things like, like grace abounding, things like righteousness? 
We'll read that all in our text here in a few moments. Here, actually, let's read our text once again. Um, let's start in verse 8 this time. Don't, let's start in verse 6. Let's go back. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Harvest of righteousness because of their generosity for the church in Jerusalem, meeting the needs of the saints. That just baffles me. Right? And so as we read our text today, we see that God loves a cheerful giver, cheerful giver who sows bountifully, who, is, who does not give under compulsion or reluctantly, right? But settled in my heart that God has called me to give whatever. Finances, like whatever amount it is, whatever, whatever percentage it is, whatever it is that we've sat down, God has spoken to our hearts, and then we just respond to that. And somehow, some way, we sow into him and we see a bountiful harvest, both of material blessing for the saints in Jerusalem, but also immaterial blessings. Physically blessed, we can count on, we can know that we will not be in need, we will not be in want. Um, thinking about some scriptures this week, Psalm chapter 37. Let me read a couple of uh, the beginning verses and then some towards the, towards the end, middle to the end there. Verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. And do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself. When you delight in the Lord, He's your treasure. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now let's jump way down to verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Verse 25 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You see, when you treasure him, when you treasure him, he gives you the desires of your heart, and that's not just whatever it is. It's not, again, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. You see there in verse 25 that I've not seen the righteous forsaken. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, that God is faithful to provide. I've already made mention of it, Philippians chapter 4, where Paul is uh, commending the church there church actually partnered with him financially. This context is finances. Verse 14, it says, yet I was, it was kind of you to share my troubles. Right? They took that burden upon them. And you, Philippians, you, yourselves, at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. He's commending the church here. Jump down to verse 18. It says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied Right, this material blessing for Paul, having received, 
from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every one of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Love it. I love God's faithfulness. I love God's faithfulness. Like, I read the scripture sometimes and I go, do I believe this? Because if I truly believe it, if I know that he's not going to let me fall, he's not going to forsake me, I know that he's going to supply all of my needs, then why don't I headlong, why don't I just full, go for it, give all of me, even when it's a little bit unnerving? Do I believe it? Do I believe his word? Or the text we read last week in Malachi, right, inviting God's people to put him to the test, which is an odd phrase, just to see how faithful he is when his people obey. Malachi chapter 3, start verse 8 this time. It says, will man rob God? Yes, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That is his promise to his people. I rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear says the Lord of hosts, then all nations will call you blessed, for you'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's go back to our text today. Because as I read this, man, there was like, it was almost like systematic. Paul talking to the, the church in Corinth, right? Systematic of, of, of glimpses of what this harvest will look like. And so verse 8, again, it says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice how many times it says all. All grace abounds to you. All sufficiency, all things, all times, every good work. What a, like, I don't know if we understand the power of grace and how much we need it. It's a little thing that we like to sing about, amazing grace. Like, we are so in need of the grace of God. And here you see that part of the harvest here is that, that God is able to make all grace abound to you. I want all grace. I don't know how much all is, but all is all, and I want all grace abound to me. Having all sufficiency, okay? Not lacking anything. All sufficiency all the time. All things so that I may abound, that we may abound in every good work. Every good work. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Love Ephesians chapter 2. You guys know this. One of my favorite passages in all Scripture, right? Grace, you've been saved, not of yourselves, so that no one can boast, right? Save by grace, through faith. Right at the end of that, it says, we are God's workmanship, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. 
We are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. To do good works, to let our faith be evidenced by beautiful good works, giving, serving, greatness by giving, greatness by serving, greatness by laying myself down and doing what God has called me to do. He's given us all grace, having all sufficiency in all things, all of the time, so that we can do what God has called us to do, every good work. How beautiful is it? You keep on reading. Verse 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And so when you are sowing, he's going to give you more to sow for the glory of his name. The increase of harvest of your righteousness, it says in verse 10. This one here is still hard for me to get my brain around. That by sowing bountifully, there's a bountiful harvest of more for sowing and an increase of our righteousness. In our men's group on Thursday mornings, we've been going through the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, undid me for about two weeks. You guys remember the rest of that? Isn't th- that's that they will see God, right? I think it's that they will see God. Those who hunger and thirst... Somebody's going to fact check me right now, and that's cool. Thank you. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will see, like, where's my hunger level when it comes to righteousness? Or is it just like a a, a byproduct, something that happens when I actually do good? Do I hunger and thirst for the work of Christ in my life that undoes me? And part of that is the obedience of giving all not holding anything back, sowing this life for the glory of Christ, and there is an increase of my righteousness. It's not, like, again, like, don't, don't misunderstand this. There's, there's, this isn't like, okay, but if you get, if you give over here, that's the thing that makes you right, okay? It's not, it's not, this, this isn't uh, just a, another version of, like, uh, indulgences or something, right? Like, you pay into here, all right, no, now you're, you're good. It's heart. Heart. It's indication of heart. God somehow takes my obedience, fosters in me this beautiful righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Okay, so do you understand, like, he's the one who's giving on the backside so that we can keep on giving on the front side. We'll be enriched in every way to be generous, to keep being generous. Like, sometimes we think, man, it just stresses me out. I just don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength to keep giving. Garbage. He's faithful. He's the giver through you. Uh, undo it. Undo it. Spend time in his, in, his, in his presence, understanding that he's the one who's given through you. 
enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce what? Thanksgivings to God. Produces worship. A harvest of worship unto God. Keep on reading verse 13. By their approval of this service, right? The church receives that gift. They will glorify God. So it produces them, a glorifying of God in them because of their submission that comes from their confession of the gospel and their generosity in their contribution for them and all the others. As I look at this, I can be sure that in sowing bountifully, there is going to be a bountiful, bountiful harvest. It will be both material in nature that God is going to provide our needs, that we will not be without, that we will not be in lack. Yes, sometimes some of those conveniences and comforts that we have, maybe they won't be there. Like, we got it good. We have it really good. Some of the things that we say we need, I go, ah, do I need it? Probably not. But I know that his blessing of our giving will be in material ways. That he takes care of us and provides for us. Even this week, I've been in awe of the way that God provides. Randomly, unexpectedly, like to the point that's just I, I want to cry over his faithfulness. Like when you like when you did like you ever have those moments where it's just like wow he shows up and you're just like whoa, why why do I fret? It says it in your word. I should expect it to be taken care of. It says it in your word. I should stand. I should believe it. But then as I look through these verses, you can see here that the harvest, yes, in material, material in nature, there's so many beautiful immaterial things, whether it be grace or, or righteousness, enriched in every way to be gener like generosity flowing in me because of my contribution. Like, again, this isn't about the money. This is about our hearts being aligned with the purposes of Christ. That we can be sure that he is faithful. We can be sure that the harvest will be amazing. When he's the treasure and he gives back a harvest, that is going to be beautiful. If it's about comfort, if, it's, I, I, if I'm giving here, like, my, like financially maybe stressed, comfort levels and all of this stuff, like we just have to start from the beginning, go back to the heart and go, okay, where's my treasure? Where's my treasure? But when he's the treasure and we sow bountifully, we can know, we can know, we can know there's going to be a beautiful beautiful, full, rich harvest. I want it. I want to see it. I want to see it in my life. I want to see it in the life of our church. I want to see it in our lives, not for the money, not for whatever, but because of service, because of us in each other's lives, caring for one another, giving of ourselves to each other. Like, this church would be amazing. The scriptures say it. There's going to be a harvest and it's going to be huge. 
can do it. We can do it. We just have to obey. We just have to obey. And so as we go to a time of worship and song once again, I want us to believe the word. I want us to believe the word. And don't tell, let, let me not just tell you that I believe the word. Let me live it. Let's not just tell each other that we believe this stuff and so deceive ourselves, but let it be displayed with beautiful, worshipful obedience. And so let's worship our God together today. Let's do some uh, work with the Holy Spirit in these moments. We're going to sing a song. We might dismiss you all. We might worship some more. You guys can hang out and worship some more. If you want to pray with each other in your seats, feel free to do that. Maybe it's something specific. Maybe it's not. Whatever it is. But let's just turn this place into a, a place of worship and responding to the Holy Spirit today. And so let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Nate's going to start singing. And uh, we'll worship from there. Father, again, we thank you and praise you for your faithfulness to us, that you are a giver, that you have given us everything. And so God, help us to be wise, humble stewards of these lives. Every aspect, God, the finances, yes, but God, our, our time I know there's a lot of people in this room right now that their, their schedules are crazy. And some of them are confronted with that schedule right now and they know that if they were to open their calendar, it doesn't say Jesus first. That the way that they're investing their time needs to change. There's some people in this room that maybe like they look at their talents. They look at how you've blessed them and the, the, the different things that you've done in their lives and they know that you're calling them to give. Maybe it is fine. And whatever it is, God, like all of these areas, Jesus, speak to us by your Holy Spirit so that we would truly obey and we would see the harvest that you promise. We could open up scripture after scripture after scripture describing what this harvest looks like even more than what we did today. For your faithfulness. Help us to stand on your word. Live to the glory of your name. To the glory of your name. We've got one short life to live. So God, let us sow it well for you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's sing together.